Welcome to Energy Radio, episode 67. And on today's show, we talk carbon capture and all the things related with that part of the world. But before we do, uh, we will introduce my uh, consistent co-host and sometimes um, sole host when I uh, am <laughs> gone doing whatever I do, uh, Lisa Katz. Lisa, welcome. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm buoyed by a full week of this is, um, I think, my third podcast and our fourth uh, being recorded this week. So lots of fun conversations. Uh, I'd like to say I'm a little bit smarter for it, and I'm excited for this conversation and, and getting a bit uh, a bit smarter as a result. So why yeah. don't you, Lisa, take us away and introduce our guest today, and we can get the conversation rolling. Sure. So hello there, Glenn. Uh, we have Glenn Bailey on the show. He is the uh, director in, of North American Sales at Carbon Clean. Welcome, Glenn. I uh, hope you uh, you enjoy uh, recording this podcast with us today. How are you doing? Oh, hi, Lisa. Hello, Matt. Thank you very much. Uh, this is exciting. So, Glenn, what we normally do when we start the podcast off, because we always find our listeners are eager to understand, you know, where you've come from and how you started your career and just sort of the evolution. Can you step back as far as you want to go, whether it's university before or after, and just give us an idea of how you got into the energy space and how you got to uh, to carbon, carbon clean? Well, I'll tell you, uh, and this may, you know, strike a chord with, with some others out there, but, um, you know, engineering degree, uh, interviewed with a number of traditional engineering roles. And then uh, one of the jobs that I interviewed for was a field sales engineer. And I was like, this is very different. Um, and so I've been in that track since out of college, uh, really across a lot of different leading edge technologies, uh, working with uh, major uh, international customers primarily, uh, leading teams as well. Um, I've been in Houston since 96, and it was natural being in this location to develop an energy focus. Um, you know, most recently I was with Siemens Energy since 2009 and uh, handled a number of large uh, international customers and uh, moved to Carbon Clean in 2020 as this energy transition was clearly, clearly underway. Uh, I'm convinced that carbon capture is going to be a major driver for new energy projects for many years to come. And I'm excited about the activity that we're seeing. Fantastic. No, that's great. And can you give us a bit of an idea on who carbon clean is? I mean, obviously, I think, you know, the, the term carbon capture utilization and storage or CCUS has become fairly mainstream this year. Uh, Matt and I are hearing more and more of it. Uh, it's uh, it's not quite as hot, I will say, as the hydrogen topic, <laughs> but it certainly is getting there. Um, but can you give us a kind of an idea of who Carbon Clean is and, and you know, just how you guys kind of got started, if you could? Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned the hydrogen uh, bit because there is a, a good connection there. So Carbon Clean, we're a, a global leader in cost-effective CO2 capture technology and services for primarily critical hard to abate industries like cement, steel, refining, midstream, energy from waste, boilers really. So a lot of different combustion sources and beyond that. We were founded in 2009, we're headquartered in London, got offices around the world and we're expanding rapidly. Um, our technology 
is operational currently at 44 sites around Europe, North America, Asia. We've already captured over 1.4 million tons of CO2. Wow. Uh, we're partnered with a host of industry leaders, including Semex, Veolia, some other names you can see on our website. And, and we've got quite a number of investors that are continually growing. A key part of who we are is focusing on innovation. We just developed the world's smallest industrial carbon capture technology that we call Cyclone CC. And I would say that we're at the forefront of business model innovation in the CCUS sector. Wow, that's great. And and when we talk about CCUS, Glenn, we like a lot of people really understand, well, to some extent, understand the carbon capture piece. I wonder if you can kind of lead us down that path and talk to us about how you guys are doing that, but also talk about the utilization and storage piece. If you're involved in that, if you if you get involved in in talking to clients on about how to do that, like because because there's you know there's there's several components here, right? Sure. Um, but but maybe you can focus a little bit on your technology, how it works, and and all that good stuff. Okay, yeah, there's a lot in that question, so <laughs> yes, there is. Um, so yeah, for sure, it's great to see that carbon capture utilization storage that's being recognized as a a vital tool to get to net zero in North America and elsewhere. We've got strong partnerships, which is actually really important as the value chain is getting built out and defined. Um, but with growing government support for CCUS, we think that the potential for CCUS uh, to reduce emissions, deliver skilled jobs, and everybody's overall prosperity, it's, it's, it's a big deal. So our carbon capture solutions include technology license, solvent supply, uh, process design, proprietary equipment, and end-to-end -end systems. So we could do design, build, finance, operation. Uh, I'll say that uh, technology called CDR Max is the is the trade name for our foundational technology, and this is an um, enhanced aiming solvent, which is very stable and high performance. Uh, we design and build carbon captures that are optimized then around uh, the characteristics of CDR Max. Um, we work on large scale carbon capture projects like Acorn was a big one in the UK. And that's one of the most mature carbon capture and storage projects uh, in the UK. But we've also focused on overcoming barriers to carbon capture deployment. And so we've just launched a breakthrough technology. It's the world's smallest industrial carbon capture approach that, again, we call Cyclone CC. We know that cost and on-site space restrictions have made carbon capture a, a real challenge for, for many. The cost of carbon capture has historically been between $80 and $120 a ton. And on-site space is often limited due to you know, just the facility, you know, outlines. And that's just added cost unless you've got, you know, some place to send it and, and what to do with it. Um, so that's all coming together, but driving down the cost of carbon capture is our piece of it that we're, you know, primarily focused on. So, Sorry for rambling here, but Cyclone yeah, no, CC. Yeah, go, go, uh, go ahead on Cyclone CC. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah, so Cyclone CC, that's where I was headed. It's a, it's a modular 
prefabricated skid mounted carbon capture uh, that's going to reduce the cost of carbon capture by maybe half and getting down to $30 a ton on average. And so that's getting much more in reach and, and, and hitting the getting in the money for people. There's a, a combination of two technologies. Uh, we're using rotating pack beds and we're using our CDR Max solvent. Uh, it has a footprint that is maybe up to five times smaller than a conventional carbon capture unit and, it, and it's installed as a plug and play. Uh, it's been pilot tested. It's been commercialized at uh, several different levels with select partners. We're going to have final product rollout by end of this year and um, uh, market rollout in 2023. So in, in the in the center of the, the technology, let, let's go back to kind of the chemistry of it. You, you made reference to an amine system, for, maybe for a listener who's you know, not used to carbon capture at all. Can you walk us through from a very high level, you know, I'm, I'm picturing a boiler or a gas turbine where there's, you know, CO2 moving through the stack and right now goes, you know, up into the environment and, and causes all the problems that we all know about. What do you do differently, like in very simple terms? Yeah, so if you if you can see the whiteboard here on the podcast, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're so I'll just kind of talk through the system. Uh, but you've got a um, so we operate at, at low pressure, so it's at atmospheric pressure. You've got the uh, gas coming off out of a stack of some type that is going to get routed into our system. It's going to get cooled down through a through a air cooled or water cooled tower. It then goes into an absorber column, typically in a conventional setup or a rotating pack bed in the new instantiation. But you've got the, the solvent that's passing through in one direction and the, and the gas passing through in another. The solvent picks up the CO2, so it's a loaded solvent, it then passes through to another section uh, that's another column or another rotating pack bed where this cooled down solvent, which has this CO2 in it, gets heated back up again, and the CO2 gets released, and it's a very pure stream of CO2 that comes out. So you've, you've collected that out of one end of the system, pure CO2, and the other gas that has the CO2 removed goes back to you know, your, your, your stack. And so then you've got multiple uh, avenues, what you do with the CO2 after that. And, okay. and do you guys get involved in that piece at all, Glenn? Like, do you make, like, in terms of the the utilization of that that CO two or the storage of it, is that part of what Carbon Clean also helps clients with, or just the carbon capture piece? So our expertise and focus is on the carbon capture, but we have a lot of great connections and relationships and partnerships that we can help, hopefully, guide a customer on on where to go okay and, and, and what 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 is happening in that industry like you know we think of we think of co2 as a as a bad thing you know from a from a global perspective um and and you know it is if it gets out of the environment but there are also many uses i remember you know grade six or seven biology and then the carbon cycle um, you know, there are there are things in different markets that it can help. I, I like to uh, 
have an occasional uh, soda or adult beverage that also has, you know, <laughs> carbon dioxide in it, I think. Um, you know, what, talk to us about some of the channels where, where this can go. Captured CO2, it's got a lot of different uses that can go into valuable commodities like fuel, soda ash, chemicals, uh, a lot of different kind of products. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty extensive. Um, we're working with some definitely exciting projects that are looking at new revenue streams that, you know, we, it, we consider it a circular carbon economy. Uh, there's one uh, called Liquid Wind in Sweden that they're producing carbon neutral fuel for the marine industry using green hydrogen and captured biogenic carbon. Uh, there's another company, Lafarge Holson, in Spain that we're working on a project that uses the captured carbon dioxide in vast local greenhouses for accelerated crop production. Mm. Uh, in India, we delivered the world's first low-cost industrial carbon capture utilization plant, and it went to tutacorin alkali chemicals. And they use the captured CO2 to convert into soda ash, which then goes into detergents for, uh, for their customer. And then just a few months ago, we announced that we were commissioning India's first carbon capture plant for a blast furnace for Tata Steel. And then the captured CO2 gets reused on site in really a variety of applications. So it's cool. all over the map. Is, is there a, like, like I heard, you know, the reason I brought up brewing is we heard a story the other day from uh, a client in the brewing industry who was worried they, they could not get enough CO2 uh, for their process. And I, I stepped back and I think, hold on, we got this issue with, you know, excess CO2 causing, you know, global temperature rise and you can't meet, make beer because you, you, <laughs> you don't get like something's wrong with that. Is there exactly. a, so the answer to the question is, is there a pharmaceutical or not pharmaceutical? Is there a food grade opportunity here as well? Can you, can you get to that level or is that a, a whole different ballgame? No, it's, it's definitely the case. Um, so what comes out of, uh, you know, the raw output is more of an industrial grade, but there's additional uh, processing step where you compress it, you know, um, you know, de de dehydrate uh, okay. and also just, um, you know, really compressing it, I think, is, is, the, is the major stage that goes on there. But getting to a food grade is absolutely one of the specifications that we can drive to. Wow. Okay. And, and Glenn, from a from a carbon capture perspective are you like from an industry perspective or an application perspective rather are you capturing carbon off of really any source what i mean by that is would you put it on the back of a reciprocating engine or a gas turbine or are you relying on industrial sources like furnaces etc to capture that carbon like where where's where do you start at your smaller end and where do you go to your bigger bigger scale there's so of course we've got the you know major four quadrants that we talk about the hard to abate guys the steel cement uh chemical waste to energy but uh, I'm getting around a tremendous number of calls uh, with people who have like uh, diesel generators. So recepts, uh, you know, kind of upstream production facilities that to be more, you know, in line with community thinking, you know, they want to have as much uh, be as clean and green as possible. So that would be a small system, which we are absolutely able to support. Um, we're seeing, you mentioned hydrogen, so like if you have a, 
uh, an SMR type hydrogen production has a lot of CO2 that comes off. And so if somebody's thinking they want hydrogen, they go, oh, uh, what do you do with CO2? Then you're going to have to do capture off of that. So, you know, really more and more customers, you know, I get calls from people who says, hey, my CEO publicly signed us up to some massive CO2 reduction program. And so, and he said, go do it. And now what do I do? So it it's really, it's remarkable uh, areas that you would never have guessed. So like a bakery, <laughs> like mm. a big, these, com- these big commercial facilities, you know, or, or, um, you know, a glass factory that's associated with a brewery, let's say, or that's, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty diverse. And are you seeing um, certain areas of the world that are, you know, moving faster than others? Is it, is it more in more industries or like different types of industry verticals are moving faster? Like where's the market segment? Right. Right. So yeah, for sure. Globally, we're seeing demand from all industrial sectors, but we're, but for us, we're targeting the hard to abate oil and gas, cement, energy from waste, steel, uh, and there's really limited options for these industries to decarbonize. I mean, it's it's just part of the process that that it's going to emit CO2 and carbon capture is their best bet. Um, I, I love that you've used that phrase like three times, and I love it. That that hard to abate. Like I think there's this, and and this is a bit of you know, insert my soapbox here so I can get up on it uh, on this on this show, but. You know, there's this real push, particularly where we are in Ontario, where we have a reasonably um, clean electricity grid, marginal power notwithstanding. Uh, same is true in, you know, different jurisdictions throughout North America. There's this thinking that electrific- electrification and electrify everything is, is the right thing to do. Uh, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a good, you know, thing. I think there's a lot to be done there. Um but it, and it's simple to grasp, and so that's why I get you know why people get it. And it has a role, but it you know I think it's it's easy to think about that. It's harder to I don't think everybody has an appreciation for the the things that you're talking about that are hard to abate that you know need that high quality energy. Uh, we need to be burning you know gases and things of that nature, and there needs to be a solution um, to those hard to abate. You know, and so I just love that you know, phrase that you keep using. I think it's really well, Matt, Matt, you know, jumping on that comment, I've heard that for years as well, just electrify everything. And number one, I go, well, there has to be a source for electricity and you want to make that be as, um, you know, good as possible. Uh, it has to be, you know, economical and perform well. Um, but I also know, and I'll, I'll, I'll share you know this is the part that i didn't include in my intro is that i'm actually electrical background uh-huh. and i know <laughs> the losses that are involved from generating a source to converting it to transmitting to distributing to using it through all that process is a very inefficient and if you can use you know the best fuel source at a at a location and have that come off as non-co2 containing emissions that's really pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. F- from a from a funding perspective, Glenn, like is is our our incentives a big thing? Do you you know th- do you agree or think that you know all of these different 
technologies sort of just need to kind of compete so that we can kind of, you know, levelize the cost of all of those technologies so they're all used. You know, where where does carbon clean stand in that mix? And and are you finding that projects are only going forward if there's funding, federal, provincial, state funding, you know, involved? Or uh, are people actually stepping up to the plate and saying, no, regardless of what this is going to cost, we've made these huge, you know, net zero, I don't want to say claims or promises, but, you know, they've put these aggressive targets in, in, in place. They're going to spend the money regardless. What are you seeing out there? There are companies who have made corporate commitments to decarbonize. Uh, they recognize that there is a runway that's required to understand the technology, consider what it's going to take to roll out. Everybody has you know, their own connections into the legislative bodies around the world to try and anticipate what's going to happen. We don't really know until these things roll out solidly and also get accepted by the communities. But um, no, it's definitely true that for, for, I mean, you look in Europe, um, they have a different model than we've been basically talking about here in North America, where it's easy, more easy for a project to get compensated and put a balance sheet together. So there needs to be some predictable uh, method for companies to get payback on their investment. And it's it's complex right now, but there are certainly programs both in Canada and the U.S. that let people do that right now. And there are a certain class of projects. And what, what we're seeing is that 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 uh, window is opening up to where it really goes down to, you know, rather, relatively small emitters because that makes up, you know, the majority uh, of the actual emissions that go out. You know, you can go attack the very big ones, but you're still only hitting the top of the iceberg. You know, we really got to get to a broad industrial. And I think that that's also being recognized, uh, you know, within the uh, legislation that's coming out, there's a great deal of support. And um, I think we have to work actively to try and get uh, government grants and funding for these for the first movers. These these first movers uh, need to have that you know support. And and you know we're we're here to work with the, the customer and to make sure that we're plugged in as well as we can with those bodies that can provide the money help. So are you finding that the majority of your interests or your inquiries are coming from those smaller kind of private companies? Or are you finding that <clears throat> there's just, you know, whether it's a larger municipality or, you know, these mega uh, companies that are that are sort of, uh, you know, more interested? Where, where are you seeing the majority of the interests lie? Uh, it's It's from everywhere. My challenge is to find... Just what you said about there, uh, not just the interest, but, you know, a customer has to be fairly uh, today with today's technology or until today, a customer had to be pretty sophisticated to be able to think through that whole value chain. Right. Uh, and then also to think about project development on the individual components, such as the carbon capture. So what we're doing is trying to simplify and make a black box on the carbon capture where you've got an input and an output, right? And um, take that piece for the most part off the customers. Oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? 
challenge. And then you've got developers that are looking at tying together the whole uh, value chain and others who are looking at the transport, others looking at the sequestration piece. So it's a, it's a complex topic and there are temporary solutions uh, that anybody can do right now. So you get into the gas distribution markets, you know, that can help connect. Here's a source with a need. Uh, in the UK, it was, you know, they went through a crazy period and, and I think they're still there where there was a CO2 shortage. And right. pricing is going through the roof. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's a matter of developing a, a, a need as well as the availability. Yeah, I noticed in some of your material, and uh, I think we've talked about this before, but you you have a, a play in the biogas space as well. And that's, that's near and dear to my heart, as listeners might know. Talk to us about your role in the in the biogas ecosystem. Sure. I mean, I think there's real benefits to to uh, for what we do for what we can bring to the CO2 separation technology for biogas upgrading. Um, we've got a proprietary solvent that's specifically for biogas upgrading. Mm. It okay. reduces the cost of upgrading the biogas compared to alternatives such as membranes or PSA. Uh, uses thermal energy to remove CO2 concentrations up to 50 percent volume from biogas and landfill gas. So that's like taking the CO2. So it's like typically 50% concentration in there. So you can take take that out, basically. So 99% of raw methane is recovered to produce pipeline quality natural gas or compressed natural gas. Okay. It also considerably reduces the heat and electrical demand required to capture carbon, uh, even in brownfield existing plants. And it's already been used widely in biogas upgrading sector, removing over 900 tons per day. Uh, it's been tested, proven throughout more than 100,000 hours of operation in the biogas sector. And uh, yeah, we've got a lot of experience in that space. So it's so in that market. Uh, in that market, you're you're competing against like the, uh, the the membrane suppliers and the PSA suppliers. You're you're competing in in that very very competitive space, I would yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean, so this is a you know an alternative that's that's uh, fantastic right. for these smaller operations. These, uh, you know, uh, you know, these upgrade uh, locations are typically pretty small. And, small, and, yeah, for sure. And and you know, from an upgrading perspective, Glenn, do you get into a specific type of we'll call it cleanup, like? What I mean by that is, are you focused more on, for example, the dairy market or the wastewater treatment plants or landfills, or is it just a combination of all three? Or, Well, Lisa, I would say it is going to be case by case that we need to look at the characteristics of the um, gas that's, that's coming off of there. So what we typically are going to do is we have a first conversation with the customer and we'll say, Tell us about your your exhaust gas, you know, pressure, temperature, and the composition. And then we're, we're going to need to run some analysis uh, to say whether that's, uh, you know, really in the zone or not, and then how to handle okay. it. Interesting. If I, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about myself as a client, Glenn, and so whether I'm a Lafarge, a Procter & Gamble, a Coca-Cola, a Molson's, I don't know, you know, you name the client. How, like, like I contact you and I say, look, I've got this type of an operation. 
how do you sort of guide a client through the project development cycle? Like, how, I mean, we as engineers at CEM, we're involved in this all the time. We help clients all the time, but would love to hear how, how Carbon Clean is doing that on your end. We are usually contacted by somebody in the strategy or in the um, environmental department. Really, it's, it's, it's at the very early stages. And we'll talk to them about their concept and their timing. They typically want to put a team on to an analysis of their different options. Uh, we'll talk to them about, you know, what, what we can bring. And they'll go, yeah, that, that does sound good. But we're going to have the, the same as I mentioned on the biogas. We're going to want to get the information about their post-combustion flue gas and what are the constraints within their facility, what are their longer term expansion plans or really, you know, get down to some of the nuts and bolts of a project. And then we're going to have to apply some engineering to that uh, application. Uh, and we're going to propose uh, what we see as an optimal technology for that application. And, you know, it could be that um, Cyclone CC is going to be right for them. or We might have to do a fit for purpose design. But, um, you know, all these things, we'll talk to them about, uh, you know, uh, the risk mitigation. What about the, how does the working team set up? So it's, uh, uh, it, it can get into a, it, it tends to be a, an extended conversation unless it's one where the customer says, I just want to have carbon capture. I don't want to get into the innards of the system and their Cyclone CSC is going to be perfect for them. So uh, that, again, we're a piece of the puzzle. We're going to have to have partners who can deal with balance of plant issues, like connecting with the existing exhaust, uh, you know, the offtake arrangement. So getting to, uh, you know, like a um, uh, implementing liquefaction, getting to a loading dock, if it's going to be trucked away or get into a pipeline, all kind of things there. And then ultimately, what, where's the uh, CO2 going to go? So, um, you know, it, it shifts from, okay, the carbon capture to the bigger picture and, um, you know, kind of back and forth. So, yeah, we have to be involved in a lot of that. And, oh, go ahead, Matt. Well, I was just going to, I was just going to ask, I want to go back to the cycle and CC, because I think we, we haven't, you know, we haven't scratched that enough, you know, that, can you walk us through kind of what I think you've made some kind of step function changes in the design that allow you to get both smaller and I don't want to say, you know, I'm not going to say it, get more economical, not cheaper, but get more economical. Can you walk us through or maybe unpack that a little bit more, the cycle and CC and the, how unique and, and, and where the where the fit? So if you're familiar, probably your whole audience is familiar with uh, in an, a typical aiming plant, you're going to have uh, these columns, these separation columns, uh, multiple, that can be, okay, 100 feet, uh, 30 meters-ish, kind of in height in some cases, uh, maybe a little bit more, maybe, you know, a fair amount less. Uh, but those are, those are costly. They're not very sightly. It looks like an industrial complex. And so if it's sitting in an industrial complex, no problem. But if you want to have something uh, in a metropolitan area, that's not great. So um, that's why, you know, and also in brownfield sites where, you know, in a refinery or inside a, uh, 
other kind of facility, you're going to have multiple emission points, and you want to have something that you can put as close as possible to that emission source. It has to be small, modular. Um, and so what we did was we took those uh, absorber and regen columns, and instead of a vertical arrangement, we turned it into a, a rotating pack bed, which really is an order of magnitude uh, reduced in height. Um, similar kind of footprint, but there's a lot less around it. And it allows us to put it into a module rather than having some separate uh, zone. And uh, it really functions the same way, quite honestly, man. You've got the um, flue gas coming in one port. You've got this uh, rotating pack bed at a few hundred RPMs that's distributing a solvent as it's passing through, picks up the CO2, and it passes on out. So that's, that's the guts of the um, technology and then optimizing a design for footprint and cost and then mass producing is what really helps. So the, 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 the phenomenon that happens kind of by gravity in a tall column, you've, you've applied a, a motor, a, a circulating force to simulate that in a much smaller um, particle. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, you've okay. got the centrifugal force that's spreading out and you're trying to get surface area on the solvent. And so that's what happens in a in the RPB. It's spreading out that solvent so that the gas will transfer. Gotcha. Okay. Very, very cool. From a barrier perspective, like what you know, what what do you normally hear from clients who either turn down projects or, you know, maybe you guys are aggressive at cold calling and, you know, doing all that good business development stuff. Like, what are you hearing from the industry as to why they aren't interested in moving it forward? You know, it's it's just a, it's it's the uncertainty for the most part of of these uh, government incentives. Mm. You know, mm. like what what are they going to what are they going to have to do? What is a nice to do, and then what? What is what's the payoff, really? So it, it's it's a matter of money and time. That's all. Uh, other than that, it's uh, very straightforward. <laughs> and is there is there concern around you know regime change, uh, government change? Like, hey, this is in place now. I'm going to make a big investment, and it's going to go away. Or I, I I've heard maybe one percent of people who have an objection say that it's really um <clears throat> it's really just the the time horizon and then how quickly uh their company will commit the money to get these pilot projects off the ground and, and that's mm -hmm. what i'm encouraging is the companies uh start small and and then have an expansion plan and right. so that that's really what's necessary from a practical standpoint in my view awesome so what's uh, kind of as we as we land the plane here? What's kind of next for Carbon Clean? I mean, what's the is it the build out of, of Cyclone CC? Is there a, a new a launch that you can tease? Is there a new project that you can talk about? Like what's what's upcoming in twenty two for uh, Carbon Clean? So it is uh, a year of action. It's the beginning of uh, a decade of action, I think, rather than the thinking about it type type stuff. Um, we're going to be working with technology uh, partners to scaling up our, our Cyclone CC. Uh, you know, we're going to be taking orders from the wider customer base as we commercialize. Uh, cool. We're going through. We're um, developing our business model for capture as a service. Uh, 
So there's new mm. partners that are involved in that. And so really it's, you know, it, I'm sure you've heard in your engagements, uh, CapEx being a challenge, you know, pressure on OpEx, but there's some flexibility there. So that's kind of one of the key things that's going to help is, is rolling out that business model. And, um, you know, finally, we're working on hard deliver on a pipeline of those projects that you're talking about where, you know, there have been people beating on the door, but not quite ready to jump. And we think they're going to go. So um, it's a very exciting space. It's not one of these, well, is it really going to happen or not? But carbon capture, utilization storage, uh, it's, it's for real at this stage. Very, very cool. And and Glenn, just one quick question, because I'm interested to hear more about it, if you can expand on it. The carbon capture as a service, what's the intent there? I mean, obviously, you've got there's the CapEx piece that where people don't want to spend, you know, the, the, the money, obviously, to put your system in. But are you are you is, is the is the idea that you're installing these systems without any CapEx and then you're finding a place for the carbon and you're you're providing the clients back like a revenue stream? Like what does that look like for you guys or what will that look like? Yeah, it, it it's gonna involve all of the above. Um, it is kind of at the at the core of it. My view is that uh, our 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 strength is in the is in the capture piece of it, uh, but all those other things are involved. So we have to make those connections, um, you know. And it's as I said, the uh, the uncertainty that a customer faces about you know oh, what's going to be involved in operating. So we have to make the uh, operations main, maintaining service part of that. Right. Package. Just really making it easy for a customer that says, do you want to do capture? Do you not? Do you want to, and do you want to pay flex have flexible payment based on what you actually need or what you're doing? So you might have periods where it's you know peaking and other times when it's at a lower level, uh, and we can deal with that as well. Cool. Awesome. Well, Glenn, thanks so much for for spending some time with us and talking about uh, you know h- how you guys are working to save the world uh, and and how carbon yeah. clean fits into that broader ecosystem. Um, if our listeners want to find you, uh, find your company, what's the best way to to make a connection there? Oh, that's great. You know, they, they um, can contact me. My email is glen.bailey at carbonclean.com. Or you can go to Carbon Clean, uh, our company website, and then there's a lot of different contact us kind of things, which we actually respond to. Uh, so give that a shot. Cool. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again. Uh, really yeah, excited to be getting to know you and your team and the technology. And, you know, obviously we'd like to be, uh, we're happy to be your first podcast. We'd love to be one of your first North American, you know, uh, teams to work with, uh, you know, because we have a lot of, you know, clients who are every day worried about what you reference. There's CEOs yeah. saying, yeah. We're, we're committed to this and they got to figure out how, right? Yep. And thank you, uh, Matt, Lisa. Thank you. Um, and congratulations on your endeavors here and, and best of luck. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you very Lisa. much. Glenn. All yeah. right. And, and Lisa, thank you as always uh, for uh, asking great questions and uh, provoking a good conversation and getting great guests as our executive producer. And thank you to our man behind the glass, Mr. 
Mark Charbonneau, who's finally warmed up and got his combustion rolling again in his basement. <laughs> and uh, mostly to our listeners, thank you, as always, for listening, for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate so much your engagement. Uh, give us a, a feedback. Uh, give us a review. Share us with your friends. Want to spread the word on, on how we're all working together to save the world and make it a more functional place. Uh, until next time, stay safe and have fun. Thanks, everybody.